Welcome to the iSmart Podcast Show with Tom Rogers, founder and CEO of iSmart Networks. We help connect entrepreneurs with key partnerships to build financial freedom. The average millionaire has seven streams of income, and our guests reveal how they created multiple streams in their businesses. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around for the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you could be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily transformational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Okay, thanks for joining iSmart Podcast. On the show today, we have Josh Jacobs. He is the co-founder and CEO of Speakeasy Co., which actually ships to 31 different states, alcohol, like spirits, 46 states for wine, focusing on the craft space um, with over 120 brands, all through word of mouth, which is pretty phenomenal. They've actually doubled their sales in 2020 from 2019 and are just doing something super phenomenal uh, in this space. Thanks so much, Jay, uh, Josh, for, for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. Yeah, so could you actually go into your founder story, Josh, a little bit before we go into Speakeasy and talk about you know how this phenomenal success that you had in 2020, even through the pandemic? Um, where did you originally come from? Yeah, I'm originally from Massachusetts, born and raised in the cold, and have been trying to get out my entire life just because the cold, not the people. Uh, right. Love my family, love love the Northeast, love Boston, and New York, but just have born with very thin blood. So I went to school in the South and still wanted warmer and also not as hot and eventually wound up in perfect heavenly San Diego. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been in San Diego too. And San Diego is literally amazing. Even during the pandemic is really good. So did you go to, did, were your parents entrepreneurs or did you go to school for business or anything like that? Went to school for business, a mathematical business major. And neither of my parents were, were entrepreneurs and it was really in college where I had my first taste at entrepreneurism. And I was just looking at all of the different internship opportunities and none really appealed to me. And a lot of them were so elementary and we felt as though here we are at Wake Forest, an amazing institution that we could do a lot more. And my college roommate and I said, let's launch a startup where we get college students hooked up with amazing positions and wow. let's first prove it out with ourselves. And so the two of us ended up getting internships where we could actually drive significant value work during the school year. And we had really grand ambitions in expanding this. We saw that there was a lot of potential, but then we both got full-time offers, me at IBM and him with an investment bank. And we said, eh, all right, maybe we'll enter corporate America first. <laughs> and so this was in college in Massachusetts that you kind of had this little intro thing. We actually went to school in North Carolina at oh, Wake Forest. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and phenomenal. So that was a, kind of your first exposure. And then you went into the corporate world, you know, IBM. And so what was it about? How, how many years were you in IBM? I was at IBM for a year and a half. Didn't make it too long. And incredibly large bureaucratic organization, not known always for being the, the friendliest environment to work. Right. And I found myself pretty frustrated and siloed. If I had great ideas, there wasn't really anyone to talk to. 
And if I wanted to innovate, there wasn't a lot of responsibility and latitude that, that was granted. Yeah. And so I was quickly frustrated by the prototypical corporate America experience. 1.5 years. So you kind of just decided that this, this wasn't really good for you. And then you kind of exited. Um, what, what happened after you exited IBM? Yeah. So I was a road warrior with IBM. I consultant in their business analytics and optimization unit traveling Monday through Thursday every week. And that was just an unhealthy lifestyle in general. And so my wife and I said, let's, let's look for a new environment, new job, new city. We were living in Atlanta at the time. And we said, we've always wanted to live in San Diego. We thought that's where we would retire, but let's look to see if we can find a job right away. And so this wasn't the inflection point where I fully dove in head first to entrepreneurism. So I found another corporate gig in San Diego, but that was our ticket out West, which was an amazing step and, mm -hmm. and couldn't be happier. And actually part of the move was really what precipitated the first startup. When, uh, when we were moving, the moving company subcontracted to another company who subcontracted to another company and we completely lost control of where our goods were. And they were basically held hostage until we'd wire more money. Wow. And this other company <laughs> ended up delivering it and we had no idea who was who. And I thought to myself, there's gotta be a better way to move. You have all these incredible technologies and startups disrupting archaic industries why can't it happen in the moving industry? And I said, there it is, Uber for the moving industry, where you <laughs> know who it. you're booking, you book it on demand, the reviews, yeah. it's high quality professionals. And that was the, the next startup after the one in college. We called it Moved It. It Moved was it. awesome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was a fun experience, making every single mistake a first-time entrepreneur possibly could. And the, the biggest piece that I learned there was make sure you launch your startup in an industry that you're truly passionate about. And moving is known as the third most stressful event in your life behind death and divorce. And I, I realized that that wasn't really the industry that I wanted to, to be in for the rest of my career. Yeah. So learned a ton, but decided to shut the doors down uh, at moved it a couple of years later. So that you moved into San Diego, you moved to San Diego, Atlanta to San Diego. And then in San Diego, you were like, all right, you saw this space in the moving kind of frustrate. You saw a frustration piece in the moving industry. And then it was more like a monetary thing that you were shooting for. You're like, okay, I can make money off this because I know people need it. But then you didn't really, you didn't have a lot of passion about it. Um, and so you kind of just like stepped away from it. How long did you do the moved it uh, company? Yeah, a couple years. So I had passion for entrepreneurism and building something special and disruption. And that's what really pulled me into moved it, not necessarily the moving industry. Okay. And it I didn't know minimal viable product and fail fast. And so we got moved it off the ground. It took a while, it took a bunch of money and working with developers and just made every single possible mistake that that you could but we eventually got it off the ground yeah, yeah. and i'm i'm a learn by doing guy not a theoretical learner just picking it up from the internet or videos or books and so i had to get my hands dirty and yeah. uh we did get it off the ground and we were starting to do a couple moves a week revenue was coming in but i was out of town at a wedding 
in Chicago and one of the movers didn't show up. And I was just getting nasty call after nasty call from the customer who's reasonably frustrated. But here I was trying to enjoy a wedding for a friend yeah. and deal with a move. And that was the the final straw when we shut down, moved it. Yeah. No, I mean, it, at some point in time, if you're if you're really not loving what you do every single day, it's almost like you went back into the IBM corporate world, right? You know, yeah. you're you almost you, you developed a job for yourself, you know, which is great, you know, because you still have a lot of control and you have a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of great aspects to that. But the, at the end of the day, I think the reason why people become entrepreneurs is because they want freedom, not only freedom in like financials, but freedom in like time, freedom in like, you know, the ability to not serve certain clients if they don't, if they don't want to, you know, all these different aspects, I think is what um, entrepreneurialism is really about. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it sounds like, you know, you just kind of got to the end of that, you learned a lot of great things. And then, you know, it, it just wasn't a piece for you. Um, so with it, you kind of, you, did you develop an app with that? It was just like an online website, you could book it and all sorts sort of stuff. You did SEO, you did advertising, you learned a lot of that other stuff. And then you just kind of exited out. Did you take any, and did you, did you sell it at all? Or what was the exit strategy? No. So it wasn't large enough to sell. And honestly, I just wanted to get out as quickly as possible. There was a thought to try to sell the technology to a moving company, since even moving websites typically don't have the ability for online booking and e-commerce functionality. Mm. But I ended up just closing it down. But nonetheless, I had tasted entrepreneurism again, and I knew that I wasn't going to stop until I found the right startup. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing. We're kind of ruined, you know. <laughs> I'm not gonna yeah. you know, once you taste it and you like you work for yourself, I don't know how people just, you know, can stop it and go back to, you know, working for someone else or building someone else's dream. I don't understand how people can do that personally. Um, just because there's so much happiness that comes with just having springing an idea out of your mind into reality and then seeing the response from people that this idea was validated. It was great. It was a good idea. People loved it. You know, that is just so rewarding in so many different ways that it's difficult to just be like, all right, I'm going to go help someone else. And some people, you know, a lot of people can, you know, they can make a ton of money working for another company. So, I mean, that's always important. You know, I think that we need, you know, people to help others and get on the same, um, same path and get on the same alignment, have the same core values and, you know, partner with, I, I'm partnering with a lot of different people that help me you know, build companies and they just put there right along with it. So that's a super important piece. Um, at, at the same time, it's like, you know, there's certain individuals that are okay with that. Other ones, you know, just aren't. And I was just one of those people where I was like, I just couldn't get a lot. I, I, before I did, you know, I did, I did like cell phone sales and I did this, this thing I was an automotive and I worked on cars and, you know, it just, all those things were just not really, didn't just get make me want to get up in the morning and be excited right. about what I was doing every day. So, you know, I think, I think that's like a huge, huge piece. Um, and it sounded like you were, you're like, all right, cool. You know, you had, you learned a ton, you know, um, and then you kind of moved on. Right. So what did you do after moved it? Yeah, we, we launched a landing page and quickly tested a, um, we quickly tested a art company and uh, we thought there was some potential to import art from Mexico, built a landing page, built some key metrics, drove some Google AdWords advertising, Facebook ads, and we didn't achieve the, the CPAs that we were looking for. We didn't actually import the product. 
we just built a, a splash page, drove traffic, tried to understand what the, the potential traffic would be. And when someone clicked checkout, it would pop up and say, coming soon, leave us your email address. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a quick test that didn't have the promise that we were looking for. So the, the next was a suit company where we were looking to do custom suits that you bought online. And we found a manufacturer in China and we were getting suits sent in. And that was starting to pick up steam. But in parallel, I had another company, which is Speakeasy, which is now 100% of my focus, Mm -hmm. which initially launched as a craft cocktail subscription box. And we've just been on a journey over the past five years learning about the industry, iterating, and eventually pivoting to an entirely different model. Wow. So you went from craft cocktail subscription service. And then how long did you, I'm sure you built that out for a while. You did some testing. What was the response when you started to offer this to people? Yeah, it was, it was a very fun experience. So back in 2015, we saw the rise of the subscription boxes, two in particular that I, I thought were great models, Blue Apron, which they send all the ingredients for dinner and instructions and really democratize cooking to make it as uh, unintimidating as possible. Mm-hmm. I loved it, but what I thought they were missing was an e-commerce store. And at the time, my wife was subscribing to a company called Birchbox, where they send you these small little beauty samples. And if you like it, you order the full-size sample. And I said, what is the intersection of Blue Apron and Birchbox? And I said, craft cocktails, incredibly (laughs) intimidating. They're blowing up right now and it's expensive to get into. So we could do sample sizes. And then if you like that spirit or those bitters, then you could order the full size product on the website. And so that was the genesis. And in 2015, we did some research into some of the legality. And by October, we said, all right, we feel comfortable with our launch strategy. Let's make sure there's actually some legs here. So we went into a bar, we filmed a bartender, craft some cocktails. Since we had no idea how to make any ourselves, we asked if we record, <laughs> they said yes. We went out, bought Love all it. the ingredients, and then we started setting up home interviews. And we showed them the, the video that we had filmed of the bartender. We laid out all the ingredients and they started making cocktails in their home. And at the end of the interview, we asked a whole bunch of questions to guide and shape the evolution. We said, would you pay 50 bucks for this? And they, if they said yes, we said, all right, give me your credit card. And we got <laughs> five people to give us their credit card. And that was the start of, uh, originally it was 33 Club, but that was the, the start of the subscription boxes. And we had five people that we hand-delivered boxes to in November of 2015. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's such a great like founder story. Just like, okay, like what are we gonna do? Let's go build this little product. Let's go test it on the market, you know, get it, get some, get some video testimonials, right? And then utilize those testimonials to kind of build out, get the feedback, and then go from there. So how long did you do this craft cocktail subscription model until you kind of pivoted and changed the company? Yeah, about a year and a half. And so the first six months or so, we went from five subscribers to 10 to 20 to 50. And all of a sudden, after maybe six or so months, we were over 100 subscribers. And I remember this clear day packing boxes in one of my co-founders' apartments. Apartments. None of us had houses. We live in downtown San Diego. His Mm -hmm. entire place was filled with 
lemons and limes and bitters and all these <laughs> custom boxes that we had designed. And we said, we need to find a fulfillment center. Yeah. And uh, that was a pretty exciting inflection point that we hit, but we didn't realize how difficult it was to find someone that fulfills alcohol and food together. Yeah. So over the next, it took us about six months or so to find a partner um, and we found one, they were a liquor store and we started to ramp back up our sales again. And simultaneously, we were just learning an absolute ton about the industry. And in parallel, we continued to iterate. And um, in summer of 2017, so about a year and a half in, we launched a pilot for a completely different model. Interesting. And so what was that model? Yeah. So for those that aren't as in tune with the alcohol industry, there's what's known as the, the three-tier system where the, the brands or the manufacturers, they create the juice. Then there are the distributors, the middleman that move around the product. And then there are bars, restaurants, and liquor stores. Those are the three tiers. And the, the brands themselves have no ability to sell direct to the consumer. They have to sell to the middleman who sells to the bar, restaurant, or liquor store. And that's where we as consumers are able to purchase our alcohol. Uh-huh. And when we launched, it was a mission of ours to not just introduce subscribers to new recipes, but to the most important ingredient in a cocktail recipe, the spirits. So naturally, we gravitated towards craft boutique. We didn't want to include the big name brands. We wanted to include what was fun and unique for our subscribers. Mm -hmm. And it were these craft distilleries initially that were educating us on the market. And they said, your subscription box is the best marketing vehicle that exists in the industry. And our minds were blown. We said, how could that possibly be? And they said... What we do today is we go to liquor stores and we pour and give people samples. We talk to 10 or 20 people a night, and that's the best thing we can do. But if you can scale up your subscription box to thousands of people, it's an incredible opportunity to have a curated experience for um, our consumer uh, demographic. And we said, okay, how can we challenge ourselves to fuel distilleries growth? This is a huge opportunity. Right. from then on, we went through a series of iterations where initially we just had the 50 ml airplane bottles in our subscription box. And then we said, let's resell like Birchbox the full size bottles. And then we looked around and we said, okay, we have a quote unquote mini liquor store with the five partners that we've worked with over the first five months. It's not a very exciting store. So we decided let's build a craft liquor store and not limit ourselves to the partners that we've worked with in the past subscription boxes. Mm -hmm. And then once we built and we started getting 20, 30, 40, 50 products in there, we looked around and we said, how are we better than an online liquor store today? And we said, well, we're probably not. And that's because if you're a brand, are you going to pay for Google AdWords or Facebook or Instagram clicks and drive to an online liquor store where you have no control over the look, the feel, the design, the price, the shipping. No, of course not. And you have no control over the messaging. And so we said, how can we give them a little more confidence? So we hit all the navigation and we built dedicated landing pages. We skinned it to match our partner's websites. And we said, here you go. No longer should you drive traffic for a competitor. You have more control, more messaging. Try to invest. And that started to get some traction. And then a potential partner said, why don't you build us a full website as opposed to a landing page on your website? And we were like, of course. That was the (laughs) eureka moment 
We said this could be huge because this Let's... is a space that these guys have never really needed to go down before. Like yeah. their, their company was totally fine, you know, dealing with the middleman and the restaurant and they, they were mm-hmm. just creating the juice, right? But right, you know, right. they never were like, okay, why don't I just sell directly online and not have to give and go to these restaurants? I mean, you saved them probably a ton of money. You know, they were losing money essentially. It just and you were kind of like almost like a marketing firm or like an e-commerce or online marketing firm. Like you developed websites and did all these different things for these for these brands, right? Yeah, and it blew ocean for these these brands. They've never sold online before. And all of a sudden we open them up to the wonderful scalability of e-commerce. Wow. And so did you stay with the subscription model after you started to develop these websites for these brands? So we launched our first pilot in the summer of 2017. And right out of the gate, this partner was selling hundreds of bottles a month. And we said the light at the end of the tunnel for this B2B model is so much closer because every partner that we bring on board, it's like we raise money because they're going to bring their advertising budget. And we made the tough decision with just one pilot up and running. And of course we did some customer validation that we wanted to sunset the subscription boxes and focus entirely on the direct to consumer platform. Were the, were the profit margins just ridiculous, like (laughs) from the subscription model to, you know, the building, the site for the brands? Because that was, that was absolutely the main that was like, this one company destroyed the entire subscription model. <laughs> yeah, uh, the subscription model was an investment. Let's put it kindly, where yeah. we knew that we could eventually achieve profitability with economies of scale, but we didn't hit that sort of scale, and so we were losing money. And the alcohol industry, a liquor store makes thirty to forty percent, and we realized as a platform we could give significantly more margins back to the brands, take far less money and still make a ton per transaction. And so, yeah, we were really excited about that, that prospect. So cool. So, I mean, so there sounds like you had one revenue stream that started with speakeasy that kind of kept everything going, you know, you learn really the ins and outs of the alcohol industry. And then from there, you know, you develop this whole new revenue stream with, you know, building the websites and the e-commerce platforms for brands. Uh, and so you guys have been doing this since 2017. You know, it's 2020 now. So three years straight, you've been doing this. Now you guys are working with hun- over 120 brands. So you've developed essentially 120 different websites, e-commerce websites, help them build out everything. And then they're driving their marketing budget into growing, you know, their company, essentially. And then you're exactly. taking, you know, whatever the cost is to build out that website and you know keep it growing absolutely and it was not linear growth since 2017 so we had the pilot in in summer 2017 we built out the prototype of our platform and launched the first partner on that in february of 2018 and by uh, about a year ago i was just looking at it we had about 10 partners and so really we started to hit our stride in q3 of last year that's awesome. And this is literally right before the pandemic. So I'm really curious on, you know, you were already ahead of the game. You know, it sounds like you were doing this. You, you, you saw this kind of blue ocean in 2017, 2018. Things are going more online and all these massive or maybe not massive brands, but, you know, large enough brands that are trying to take, you know, some of the market share. 
you know, they were, they were really trying to grow and they didn't even think about going this direction, right? You offer this solution to them. They're like, okay, cool. You know, we're going to start building it out, you know, starting to get a really good grip on things on how to, you know, make it successful for these brands. And then boom, 2020 happens. You can't even, you know, the bar shut down. Everything has to go online. What are the responses from, you know, the brands that you guys have been working with um, and being able to sell directly to consumers from what it was in like 2017, 2018? Yeah, so it's a great question. And I'll preface with, I've heard from a number of different analysts that the pandemic pandemic didn't shift the course that we were heading on, it just accelerated timelines. That the modernization and digitization of the antiquated alcohol industry was inevitable, mm-hmm. but it our business was really propelled out of necessity through the pandemic. Pre-pandemic, brands were reaching out to us and saying, what's direct-to-consumer? What's e-commerce? This is interesting. Some would sign up, but many would say, we don't have the budget or let's connect in six to 12 months. Pandemic hit, all of a sudden, bars and restaurants shut down. Liquor stores, they only wanted to stock the big name brands. And these small boutique craft players, that these startups we were working with, legitimately had almost no outlet to sell. And they were forced. And I I think it's ultimately going to be great for the industry. They were forced to come to us and started signing up faster than we had ever seen before. But it wasn't conversations that, hey, you have to save my business. It was, wow, e-commerce really could be the future and not just the future, but help us survive and be our lifeline to survive the, the pandemic. And yeah. so it wasn't just to be a lifeline. It's really about the future. And folks are now starting to see that much more clearly. You have these companies that you've been you know, building out and helping them scale and go more online e-commerce, have they seen that it's kind of helped subsidize the loss of income from you know the other routes that they were taking to sell their product? Absolutely. And full gamut in terms of success on our platform, as you would expect. But we have some that are pushing really significant amounts of sales, tens of thousands of dollars worth of sales on a monthly basis. And for a small craft player, that's huge. That's a yeah. material amount of their sales pre-pandemic. And what's so incredible is they can do that with a lean team. You're familiar with e-commerce. You just need to make sure that you can produce the product and then you have a marketing budget and marketers. But before, you used to have an entire sales force to go and pitch to bars, restaurants, and liquor stores. But no longer do you need that. And yeah, so there's so much potential. Yeah. So there's this lean scalability. You guys do all of those pieces. Like you do the marketing. You have all the in-house people to do the marketing and advertising, building out the graphics, like doing all these pieces for the company. We do. Our base offering is we just build the shopping cart. They provide us the assets. And then we handle the warehousing and the fulfillment in addition to the technology. And then they can own their own marketing. But we've seen, and initially we didn't offer marketing, but we've seen that this is such a new space and a new domain that a lot of them aren't equipped to fully maximize the opportunity. So in the last couple of months, we started offering digital marketing services so we could offer our e-commerce expertise to turbocharge their their sales. Yeah, I mean, it's like a one-stop shop for, you know, alcohol brands in going online. You know, this is this is a very this is a very common thing in entrepreneurship and in general like 
I think that you know when you when you're able to go you go down one one certain direction and you're like okay I think this is a space you know where I where we can provide value and then you go there and it opens up this other little corridor and you're like okay it's like I can provide space in here and then that actually opens up this entire room right and then you're like okay now that I have a huge massive room and that room goes into a, like a ballroom like if you if you guide your if your company correctly right it'll eventually do that it just keeps on growing and growing and scaling each time you're providing more and more value and you're seeing additional spaces that you can you know you can you can work with these companies and and really create the impact and stay ahead of the game so i mean that's amazing uh what does the future look like with you know with e-commerce and the pandemic and everything that's going on i know you guys are doing like now you're doing the the digital you know uh marketing kind of service you're you're adding this where, where is the future kind of going is it is just going to be a hundred percent one-stop shop hey do you want to take your you know your your company and, and do online and we'll do everything from fulfillment all these different pieces or is there something like a step above that you guys are working on yeah, it's a great question. And we are starting to consider additional revenue streams. But right now, our focus is just 100% all hands on deck to onboard new partners that have virtually no ability to sell right now during the pandemic. And so we, for better or for worse, have really been just heads down focused on onboarding new partners and growth. Mm -hmm. as opposed to being able to have the time to pick up our heads and think about longer term strategy. So 120 brands, you guys want to take this over to like maybe 300 brands or, or more? Yeah, our best estimation is there are about 20 to 40,000 brands in the US. And we think that the vast majority of those should be online and selling. And they do not have the ability to sell direct to consumer. They have to go through a liquor store or a platform that's more integrated that gives them access to the tools, capabilities, and analytics like we do. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I agree with you 100%. What is the what does this bar space look like? You think you know? Because I mean, like, I agree with you 100%. You know, you people want to get alcohol, right? They usually go to the liquor store or something like that, or you go to a bar. Do you think that liquor stores are eventually going to stop carrying? alcohol and bars are not really going to carry alcohol as much anymore. It's going to be more of like a limited kind of thing. And there will be more and more online sales and people will not really go that direction. Yeah, it's a good question. And I don't see the bars and restaurants having a large shift except more craft. We've seen the craft boom in beer and we're starting to see that in spirits. So I think that is one noticeable shift that we should expect, but the larger I think change will occur with the liquor stores. We've been seeing it in other industries, the shift away from brick and mortar to e-commerce with Amazon blowing up Barnes and Noble. And I think that we could see that occur with, with liquor stores. I mean, liquor stores are notorious for not being the cleanest, most friendliest, most enjoyable experiences to shop. Of course, there are some beautiful liquor stores like the best buys of liquor stores that will probably persist. But a lot of the smaller mom and pop ones that we would much rather shop from the comfort of our own home mm -hmm. will probably be replaced. <laughs> so basically the future is we're going to have a, some kind of hover, hover craft of some sort, like a drone fly up with a bottle of Grey Goose or whatever your favorite cocktail. and It'll deliver it to your house. 
and that sounds kinda, amazing to me. That sounds like the future <laughs> of drinks. Like we're just going to be like, Oh, here it comes. All right, guys, we ran out, but here it comes, you know, on the blimp, you know, <laughs> exactly. That's, now we it. just have to be fearful of Amazon, not somehow doing it better than us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a, it sounds like there's a huge space. You guys got, you know, there's 40,000, you guys are 120. There's a big, big gap there, you know, with these, with these brands that need help and, you know, with PPP and all these different, you know, government subsidies that are given to companies. I mean, they are going to be driving those funds. I think that's one of the reasons why they gave the, the stimulus is so that these companies can be like, all right, you know, if they're, if they're smart enough, uh, you know, they got slapped in the face of the pandemic. They're like, okay, we need to go online. So we yeah. got, you know, $1.4 million in stimulus, free money. Let's drive it into speakeasy so we can start, you know, subsidizing some of the sales because I mean, yeah, I mean, everything's changing. So that's really, really awesome. Okay, cool. Um, well, you know, Josh, what are you, what are you looking for right now? I mean, you're looking for additional brands, you know, it sounds like you guys want to keep on growing, uh, for, for our listeners, you know, is there certain you, would you like them to reach out to you if they, if they need to go online in that space or is there anything else that you're looking for to, to continue to grow in 2020? Yeah. If anyone here happens to run an alcohol brand, definitely reach out. And I feel like maybe not the highest chance, but you probably know someone that runs or is involved with an alcohol brand. And for any small alcohol startup, going online is going to be the key to survival and not just survival, but for being on top. And so please definitely reach out. You can go to speakeasyco.com, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Josh, for being on the show today. Um, I would love to have you on the show a little bit later on this year to see you guys' growth. And, uh, you know, I'll be uh, getting some uh, online delivery alcohol here very soon. <laughs> yeah, let me know what your favorite spirit is. <laughs> okay, thanks, Josh. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the iSmart Podcast Show. If you are a business owner with multiple streams of income or professional who would like to be on the daily program, please visit iSmartNetworks.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with hashtag iSmartPodcast. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? We'll promote you and your business to our media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up? In your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. While you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow. That's right. Seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed 15 minutes a day. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the iSmart Podcast.